My name is Ted Costa, and I'm from Sacramento, California, and I was the chief proponent of the Davis recall. You were the first. Yeah, I think I was the first, but others will tell you they were the first, and that's all right. It was 1.5 million people that did it. Back in 2003, Ted Costa was a major player in California's conservative circles, but these days, he leads a very different life. I haven't given any interviews in many, many, many moons. In fact, we rescheduled our interview a couple of times. He needed to work shifts at his local fireworks booth the week before the 4th of July. When we finally got a chance to speak, I noticed a giant portrait of Abraham Lincoln on the wall behind him. I am officially retired. I've built my own house here. It's taken me six years to build it. He's a difficult character to pin down. His organization, The People's Advocate, made its bones by pushing anti-tax voter referendum questions. But he's no Republican acolyte. In fact, he appeared to bristle in our interview whenever the recall was connected to Republican politics. The best way to describe Costa has always been anti-establishment. California is just an underground, big, giant happy family of top bureaucrats and special interests who've been running this state right from the beginning. In 2003, when he cooked up the recall effort, the state was a political tinderbox. There were rolling blackouts, a recession, and a budget crisis. We wanted to have a little tea party over here at People's Advocate. We didn't have any tea, so we decided we'd throw the governor overboard. Costa always dreamed of a conservative revolution. He wanted to replace Democratic Governor Gray Davis with a small government candidate who would keep taxes low. But that dream would never come to pass. That brand of conservative politics didn't find a home in the governor's mansion. That's what we're going to do tomorrow, October 7th. We're going to take the government back again. Thank you very much. Thank you, and God bless all of you. Thank you. Today, we're going to take you through the early days of the movement behind the recall, explain the political challenges facing Governor Davis and the void that allowed Arnold Schwarzenegger to dominate. I'm CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash. Welcome to Total Recall, California's political circus. In 2003, the idea of a recall was already floating around conservative circles in California, just waiting for someone to run with it. And Ted Costa, the man who became known as the father of the recall, well, his organization had some cash to spend. I had $200,000 left over in the, in the kitty, and I needed to spend it on something. <laughs> so we spent it on Gray Davis. But the next step was a daunting one. They needed nearly 900,000 signatures to get the recall on the ballot. And that cost much more money than the two hundred grand Costa started out with. 200,000 was just about nothing in a state the size of California. But it was enough to get our signature gatherers out on the street. And as you and your team were working to gather signatures, there was a turning point that made it more legitimate. And you've called it the goose that laid the golden egg. You were describing... Daryl Issa. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Daryl Issa. You may recognize that name. He was the Republican congressman in charge of the Benghazi committee during the Obama administration. But back in 2003, he was just a wealthy car alarm company mogul. 
but he had his eyes on the governor's mansion and flooded the recall effort with money, as much as $150,000 a week. Once Costa got that money flowing, the signatures started rolling in. They were coming in 100,000 signatures a day, all volunteer. And uh, that was a true groundswell. According to the L.A. Times, Costa and his team were working long hours in the back room of a former roller rink, a room decorated with signs like Bye Bye Davis and Stop Dictator Davis. They counted each signature, checked them for disqualifications, and then shipped them off to county governments to be verified. Getting a million and a half signatures, it's not a fun job. It's tough. you got to organize. And it's 15 hours a day, seven days a week for 150 days because you got to get them in. But eventually they ended up with 1.3 million signatures. It was more than enough to get the recall on the ballot. And when they submitted those piles of signatures, each box contained a cover letter bearing one name, Ted Costa. It is my duty today to certify the first recall election of a governor in California history. What was once considered unthinkable is now highly probable here in California. A statewide recall election to determine the fate of Governor Gray Davis just eight months after he won a second term in office. Potential candidates started coming out of the woodwork. And that's because it wasn't that hard to get on the ballot. All you needed was $3,500 and 65 signatures to run. In the end, 135 people made it. And it was comedy gold. When voters in California went to the polls, they found the names of the 135 contenders on a ballot six pages long, thus making it the longest thing most Californians have ever read. (laughs) And of the 135 people who ran for governor, well, some of them weren't for real. But there were some serious campaigns, and taken all together, that meant there were huge political challenges for Gray Davis to keep his job. The first had to do with campaign finance. In normal elections, there are limits to how much money someone can donate to a candidate. But those rules don't necessarily apply in a recall. Here's election law professor Rick Hassan to explain. The recall election rules in California on campaign finance are weird because the governor is running the recalls like an issue elections, not about a candidate. At least that's how it's classified under California law, so you don't have the same contribution limits that you have if you're a candidate for governor. That meant the anti-Davis forces were coming at him from two sides. You could donate as much as you like to the effort to recall the governor and then also donate to your candidate of choice. And there was a second loophole that benefited Davis's challengers. You can self-fund with as much money as you want. So if you're a billionaire, you can put millions in, and the Supreme Court has said that that's fine. That worked out pretty well for the candidate who amassed a fortune from movies and bodybuilding and business interests. As you know, I don't need to take any money from anybody. I have plenty of money myself. I will make the decisions for the people. Early on, Schwarzenegger said he was only going to spend his own money, and he wrote a $2 million check to kick off his campaign. But as the money race heated up, he changed his mind and started taking outside cash and became a massive fundraiser. But Davis was no slouch in the money game either. He pulled in more than $20 million in the recall fight. 
The second big challenge Governor Davis faced was on the ballot itself. Now, this isn't something we talk about a lot with elections, but it's important in this case. The way the ballot was constructed was a major obstacle. It created a situation in which Gray Davis could get more votes than any other candidate and still lose the governorship. There's really a disconnect between part one and part two of the recall election process in California. It helps to try to picture the ballot voters received. The first question read, shall Gray Davis be recalled from the office of the governor? And you could answer yes or no. Then the second question listed all 135 options to be the new governor in a long list, a list Gray Davis wasn't even on. It's possible, for example, for 51% of voters to say, uh, yes, recall the governor, and 49% to say no. And then when you get to the second part of the ballot, the highest grossing candidate might get 30% of the vote. And so you'd have 49% of the people that want the existing governor, 30-something percent that want the replacement. Okay, I know you're probably really confused. We get it. That's our point. Just to recap Gray Davis's challenges so far, there's campaign finance, there's the ballot issue. But there was a third big political obstacle, and many saw it as a betrayal from within the Democratic Party. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger wasn't the only serious contender Gray Davis had to deal with. My name is Cruz Bustamante. I was the uh, lieutenant governor during the 2003 recall campaign. I went against my own best advice and decided to jump into the campaign. When he was elected lieutenant governor in 1998, he became the first Latino elected statewide in California in more than 120 years. Now, it may seem odd to you that a lieutenant governor would essentially run against a sitting governor in his own party. But in California, they're elected separately and they serve separately. When I jumped into this race, I jumped in knowing that there was a real chance, a substantial chance that I may not win. But I was hoping to be somebody who could defend the state of California from what I thought were going to be massive political antics from a celebrity governor. From the get-go, Bustamante's campaign was one of contradictions. This was his slogan. Vote no on the recall. And I think just to make sure, just in case, I think they're going to vote yes for Bustamante. Uh, I don't think that... uh, Wait, what? No on the recall, yes on Bustamante. So if you're a Democrat who supported Bustamante, why wouldn't you vote yes on the first question? Well, Bustamante still says he doesn't see that as contradictory. I was competing with Arnold. I wasn't competing with the governor. There's two different questions on the ballot. One, do we recall the governor? Well, he lost that first question on his own. For the last many years, um, uh, he and his folks have been trying to rewrite uh, history uh, to basically uh, make it appear as if somehow my participation uh, didn't permit him to win. He's right. That's exactly the way Gray Davis sees it. That gives people permission to vote the wrong way on the recall. And it splits the vote. Splits the vote, exactly. Would you have been recalled if Lieutenant Governor Cruz Bustamante, another Democrat, had not entered the race? It would have been much closer. But Cruz Bustamante 
doesn't think he did anything wrong. Politics is not always the noblest place to be. <laughs> and when, and when, people, when people start uh, seeing the, uh, the ship starting to uh, sink a little bit, all the rats start leaving the ship. So were there a lot of rats? There was a lot of rats. There's always a lot of rats. I'm in this business for 30 years. I, 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 had, I knew what was going to take place. I knew what was going to take place if I were to lose. You know, you're the goat if you lose. You're the hero if you win. I, I get that. As we all know by now, Bustamante didn't win the election. As for his political future, he actually kept his job as lieutenant governor for four years under Arnold Schwarzenegger. But that was the end of the road for him in California politics. Before the recall, the California Republican Party was in a tough spot until they were rescued by Arnold Schwarzenegger, an unconventional Republican candidate who was comfortable playing the hero. Come with me if you want to live. We'll talk much more about that next. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance and emergency repair or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. In 2003, the heyday of the California Republican Party seemed to have come to an end. Long gone were the days of Ronald Reagan. Here's Professor Hassan. There had been a history of California Republicans in the primaries choosing really conservative candidates who then went on to get trounced in California, which has more Democrats than Republicans. And so they can't just try to win legislative majorities. And so they use other tools. And so one of the tools that they use are the tools of direct democracy. Enter Arnold Schwarzenegger, stage right. I know I can clean house up there and say hasta la vista to Gray Davis. There had always been whispers that Schwarzenegger was preparing for a run for governor well before the recall was announced. He had already built up his political bona fides, chairing the fitness councils for both President George H.W. Bush and Republican Governor Pete Wilson. He even spearheaded his own ballot initiative in 2002, Proposition 49, the Schwarzenegger after-school initiative. He was creating Arnold Schwarzenegger, the politician. People ask me all the time, this is well, Arnold, why are you doing this? Why are you leaving behind your movie career and your money and the family and all those kind of things? You have a wonderful life. And I tell them, you know something? Everything that I have is because of California. Everything. California has given me the opportunities. California has given me the... Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was a pretty unique candidate in that he had tremendous name recognition. 
he was a Republican, so that attracted Republicans, but he was a very liberal Republican. And so independents and some Democrats were not uh, as put off by him as they might be by a more traditional Republican. There actually was a more traditional Republican running against Schwarzenegger, Tom McClintock, who is now a congressman. Arnold campaigned very much as a self-described uh, disciple of Milton Friedman, he, uh, a, a tax uh, fighting, budget-cutting reincarnation of Ronald Reagan. That was his campaign. It was pretty much copied off of mine. McClintock called himself the conservative standard bearer of the 2003 election. Somebody sent around a meme that had uh, uh, two students, me and Arnold, with uh, taking an exam with Arnold copying off of my paper, which I got a kick out of. But again, his message was also very conservative. Most people saw Schwarzenegger as a moderate, even if he was running as a conservative. So what did he really stand for? Well, it was kind of hard to tell at the time for a couple of reasons. First, he never had to answer many of the tough questions that typically come in a primary because there wasn't one. Republicans didn't really get to vet him. Here's Rick Hassan again. Schwarzenegger was a pretty liberal Republican. And experience had shown that liberal Republicans had a hard time getting nominated by Republicans uh, for office. And Schwarzenegger knew full well where he was running, California. He worked really hard to avoid traditional partisan traps. It was fodder for late-night laughs. Now, so, listen, what is your plan to solve California's budget crisis? Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, right, but yeah, that, that's not really a proposal, Arnold. California has a severe problem which could affect the entire nation. What is your plan to fix this? I'll be back. <laughs> this is how journalist Mark Baraback explained it. He ran pretty much a content-free campaign, and he was called on it at one point. And his response, again, I'm paraphrasing, was to say, you know, details, details, details. You know, there are warehouses full of details in Sacramento. What we need is leadership, as if, you know, as if you can just, by being a quote-quote leader, close this massive budget, which, you know, again, huge gap between governing and, and, and campaigning. But that didn't seem to matter to Republican voters. Almost immediately, they lined up behind Arnold Schwarzenegger as their candidate. And the sheer fact that everyone knew his name gave him a big advantage. Here's Congressman Tom McClintock again. Once your opponent is known by his first name only, you've got a pretty tough race. And as Election Day got closer and closer, other prominent Republicans angling for the governor's mansion started to drop out. That includes Daryl Issa. He delivered these remarks with tears in his eyes. This was never about higher office. It was about higher obligation. In the final days, when it seemed clear Schwarzenegger was headed for a victory, the candidate who called himself the conservative standard bearer, even he was pressured to call it quits. The last few weeks of the campaign, they began this drumbeat. Well, McClintock might be fine, but he can't win, and Arnold can win and carry the day. And that's when you saw a consolidation of Republican uh, voters behind uh, Arnold. But McClintock would not drop out and says he still believes to this day that if it wasn't for Schwarzenegger, he might have won. I think he basically based his message on my message, so it was very much the same one. And combined, we took 62% of the vote. In fact, I pointed out at the time, when you compare that to the 31% that Bustamante got, you could have split the Republican vote any way you wanted. The Republicans still would have won. Either of us uh, would have won and would have had about the same percentage of the vote. When the votes were counted, Tom McClintock came in third with 
13%. The big winner, of course, was Arnold Schwarzenegger at 49%. And behind him, Cruz Bustamante got 32%. Gray Davis was recalled, and the tide changed in California politics. As for Ted Costa, father of the recall, he stands by what he started in 2003. I don't know anywhere else in the world where, where power has been changed and nobody got hurt. It, it was the way the founding fathers wanted it, a peaceful revolution. There is an old saying, and that old saying is, you don't have to fight the revolution, you just have to start it. And that's why Ted Costa isn't exactly a household name. For all his talk of a revolution, he merely set it in motion. In the end, it was mega-millionaire movie star Arnold Schwarzenegger who took over that revolution. And he sees nothing wrong with this. He told me that recently when we sat down for an exclusive interview. I'm not going to answer Ted Costa because no one knows who the hell he is. He's a nobody. But how did he use his star power to take over that movement? We'll do a deep dive on celebrity and politics. That's next episode on Total Recall, California's political circus. This podcast is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is the executive producer and Haley Thomas is the senior producer. This episode was produced by Will Cadigan. Emmanuel Johnson is our associate producer, and Eden Getachew is our production assistant. Story editing by Lacey Roberts, mixing by Dan DeZula and Erica Huang, with support from Abby Sharp, Kira Posey, Ethan Cohen, Chip Grabo, Ashley Lusk, Rafina Ahmad, Lindsay Abrams, Lisa Namaro, and Courtney Coop. I'm Dana Bash. Thanks for listening. New episodes drop weekly, so do subscribe where you get your podcasts. And if you like this show, you might also like our other political podcasts. Find them at CNN.com backslash audio or your favorite podcast app. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.